I'm Darrell Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. Uh, this is Lesson 8 in our study of the Gospel of John. And we pick up in chapter 7 with verses 1 through 9. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now the Jewish festival of booths was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I am not going to this festival, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Well, following the events of chapter 6, Jesus has fewer followers, uh, but he continues to go about teaching in Galilee. As John points out, Jesus was intentionally avoiding Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for an opportunity to kill him. He was a marked man as far as they were concerned. So we see that Jesus' life was in peril in Judea, but it was relatively safe for him in Galilee. That's because the Jews in Galilee were much less strict in observance of the oral law and tradition as compared to Judea. Remember, it was Jesus healing a lame man on the Sabbath that had so enraged the rabbis and Pharisees in chapter 5. It was now time for the festival of booths, which was celebrated in late September uh, and early October. The festival usually lasted about eight days. The festival was intended to remind the Israelites of their wandering in the wilderness when they left Egypt. So we are about six months removed from the events of chapter 6, which took place around Passover and six months away from his crucifixion the following spring. In verses 1 through 9, we see the appalling attitude of Jesus' own brothers about him. They challenge him to go to the festival, and I quote, to show your disciples the works you are doing. They mock him by saying, you can't do things in secret if you want the world to know who you are. At this point, John whispers to us that not even his brothers believed in him. And that's an understatement. John has just told us Jesus was staying out of Judea because he's a wanted man there with many of the leaders wanting him dead. So his brothers were rather cruelly challenging him to do something that could end his life. Jesus' response is that his time has not yet come, a phrase he has used before and will use again. But the word he uses in response to his brothers here is a different word, referring more to an opportunity. In essence, Jesus was saying to them, I'm not going now because the time is not the best opportunity for me to accomplish my mission. So he doesn't go with them, which is understandable. He doesn't want to be there at the opening of the festival with so many people looking for him to kill him or to imprison him. He tells his brothers, no one is objecting to you or trying to kill you because you are of the world. I've testified against the world, Jesus said, that its actions are evil. And the world, think Jewish leaders here, hate me for it. Let's move on to verses 10 through 24. But after his brothers had gone to the festival, then he also went, 
not publicly, but as it were in secret. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, Where is he? And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds. While some were saying, He is a good man, others were saying, No, he's deceiving the crowd. Yet no one would speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, How does this man have such learning, when he has never been taught? Then Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is nothing false in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you are astonished. Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So we see here that his brothers do go on to the festival, but Jesus hangs back a few days and then decides to go despite telling his brothers that he wasn't going. There's nothing surprising about this. His own brothers have challenged him to do something that could easily end his life. He doesn't want them to know he's going. He plans to go secretly, and telling them could result in his attendance being more public than he wanted it to be until he was ready to reveal his presence at the festival. Verses 11 through 13 reveal how controversial Jesus had become. The Jewish leaders are asking where he is because they want to arrest him, or worse, The opinions among the people range from those believing Jesus was a fraudulent deceiver that was leading the people astray while violating the law, to those believing he was a good man, as evident from his miracles. But most of the muttering of the people is being done privately because no one wanted to get crosswise with the Jewish leaders. Obviously, there was a lot of tension in the air. Then in the middle of the festival, Jesus boldly goes into the temple and begins to teach publicly. We need to keep in mind that this took an extraordinary amount of courage. Jesus was defying the Jewish leaders right in the courtyard of the temple. This was totally unexpected by the Jewish leaders, and they were astonished that Jesus would do this. They were even more astonished that he taught as he did. They were astonished because he had, they had never seen uh, someone teach as he did who had never been to rabbi school or to Pharisee school. To them, he was just an ignorant carpenter. But yet he had insights and was teaching on his own authority rather than citing all of the rabbis and Pharisees they liked to cite in their teaching. Jesus' response to their astonishment was, Really similar to what he told the Jews in chapter 6. This isn't my teaching. It comes from the one who sent me. And anyone who is truly committed to God will recognize whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Anyone who speaks on his own is just seeking glory for himself. 
whereas the one seeking approval from God is a true witness with nothing false in him. What Jesus is doing here is drawing a stark contrast between what he is doing compared to what the rabbis and Pharisees are doing. And he presses this point home when he says, Moses gave you the law, but none of you keeps that law. If you did, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Well, at this point, the leaders respond that he must have a demon because no one's trying to kill him, which is contrary to what John has just whispered to us about their intent. They didn't want to publicly admit what they clearly wanted to do. Jesus then points out how hypocritical and contrary to the law they are acting. He said, you're astonished because I healed a man on the Sabbath. Moses instituted circumcision, and John whispers to us that it came from the patriarchs, uh, not from Moses. But circumcision, which was always administered on the eighth day, can still go forward without violating the law, even if the eighth day after birth was on the Sabbath. So it was not work uh, or sinful on the Sabbath to uh, uh, apply circumcision. So Jesus is saying, so why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath when it's perfectly permissible to have circumcision on the Sabbath? Jesus is telling them, your judgment on these matters is all wrong. Let's continue on now with verses 25 through 31. Now some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is not this the man whom they are trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly. But they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, You know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true, and you do not know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? As we can see from these verses, the people of Jerusalem are really confused. They ask quite reasonably, Isn't this the man our leaders want to kill? And here he is speaking openly in public, and they say nothing to him. Do they know something about him? We don't. Could he be the Messiah? Now note that the leaders have just accused Jesus of having a demon for saying they want to kill him. But now in these verses, the people have just confirmed what their leaders really want to do, kill Jesus. Then they even entertain the possibility that Jesus could be the Messiah, but quickly dismiss this idea because they knew where he came from. Now this is a confusing statement to us in the scripture. But what it references is a belief among the Jews at the time that the Messiah would just suddenly appear at his coming with no one knowing where he came from. They believed the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem as referenced in Old Testament scriptures, but nothing else would be known about him before his appearing. All they knew about Jesus at the time was that he was from Nazareth 
And there were no scriptures suggesting the Messiah may come from Nazareth. So that's the reason for that comment. Jesus' response to this argument is essentially, So you think you know me and where I've come from. I've come from God who sent me and I know him because I came from him and I speak on his authority. Now this statement just infuriated the Jewish leaders further. John tells us they wanted to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The Jews' reticence to arrest Jesus was due in part to the fact many people there did believe in him and acknowledged that when the Messiah comes, he probably won't perform more miracles than Jesus has performed. If they had tried to arrest him then, in the midst of the people, it's likely that a riot would have broken out, leading the Romans to shutting down the temple in the midst of the festival. So, rather than the Jewish leaders trying to arrest Jesus, they instruct the temple police to arrest him. Well, as we'll see, that doesn't work out very well either. Let's continue on now with verses 32 through 36. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will search for me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? So the chief priests and Pharisees learn of the muttering among the people about Jesus and they decide to have the temple police arrest him. They would want the police to arrest Jesus at a time he was not teaching a crowd to avoid a riot. It's about this time that Jesus announces to the crowd that he will only be with them a little longer. That's undoubtedly referring to the fact that he will die within about six months. In fact, die through crucifixion. And then he would return to the one who sent him and they could not come. Now this further confuses the Jewish leaders and the people. They speculate that Jesus may be planning to go to the dispersion among the Greeks. What this refers to is the fact that many Jews were living outside of Judea and Galilee due to the various wars and invasions that had driven many Jews to foreign lands. Although the Jews living outside of Judea and Galilee still worshipped God and kept the law to some degree, They lived abroad and returned to Judea only for festivals such as Passover or the Festival of Booths, which is the festival involved here. Well, the Jewish leaders would have loved for Jesus to leave for a foreign land. They lived in constant fear that someone like Jesus would stir up the people and lead a rebellion that the Romans would brutally put down. It had happened many times before, and each time it diminished the Jewish leaders' authority. And that was their biggest concern. Let's continue on now with verses 37 through 44. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. 
Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So on the last day of the festival, Jesus returns to the metaphor he used with the woman at the well in chapter 4, that of living water. He invites all to come and drink. And John whispers to us that Jesus is referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit, although this has not yet occurred, but would occur after he was glorified. Again, the response to these words and Jesus' other teaching was mixed. Some said he was a prophet, others the Messiah, but still others, probably the rabbis and Pharisees, said he couldn't possibly be the Messiah because the Messiah will not come from Galilee, but rather from Bethlehem, the city of David's birth. Some even wanted to arrest Jesus then and there, but in the confusion, no one arrested him. Let's pick up now with verses 45 through 52. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why did you not arrest him? The police answered, Never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, Surely you have not been deceived too, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they are accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them, asked, Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? They replied, Surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search, and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. Well, we have the very interesting picture here of the temple police returning to the chief priests and Pharisees empty-handed. They've not arrested Jesus, and the leaders want to know why not. Their only response, perhaps a little sheepishly, was that no one had ever spoken like Jesus spoke. And it's, it's a telling comment. The temple police were not believers, but they were so impressed and awed by what Jesus said and did, including his healings and other miracles, they couldn't bring themselves to arrest him. Although John doesn't explicitly say so, the police probably also noticed the effect Jesus was having on the crowds and realized that arresting Jesus in the midst of the crowds would probably lead to a riot. The chief priests and Pharisees were angry and frustrated at this response. They accused the police of being deceived, just like the crowds were, and then gave them what is a very arrogant put-down. They said, none of the Jewish leaders or Pharisees have believed in Jesus, as if their opinions are the only ones that matter. They then show their contempt for the people in the height of their own arrogance. The Pharisees say, the crowd is accursed and don't know the law. Is it any wonder that Jesus criticized the Pharisees more than any other group of people? Far more than just ordinary sinners. They, in their ignorance and arrogance, believe that 
only they had found favor with God because they alone knew and observed the law. In fact, they had ignored the essence and intent of the law while striving mightily in their own power to observe the letter of the law. It's at this point that our friend Nicodemus speaks up. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and one of the members of the Sanhedrin court. He's the one that went to Jesus by night, as we discussed in chapter 3. He asked of the others of the Sanhedrin a very pertinent question that should have caused the other chief priests and Pharisees to pause and consider what they were doing. They had already judged Jesus and found him guilty of violating the law. Nicodemus quite appropriately asks, We can't judge Jesus and find him guilty without first giving him a hearing to find out what he is doing that's illegal, can we? It would be similar to someone in our society being arrested and then brought before a judge for sentencing without formal charges being brought and a trial to determine whether a conviction is warranted. That can't be done because it's a denial of due process of law. The Jews had some of the same sorts of protections we have today, and they were clearly violating their own law by being ready to judge Jesus, as they will eventually formally do. So they had no valid response to Nicodemus. Instead, they insult him by accusing him of being a Galilean and apparently ignorant of Scripture because no prophet is to arise from Galilee. The majority of them were simply unable to accept what Jesus was saying to them, even in the face of his miraculous powers and inspired teaching. While we can't say for certain that Nicodemus had become a disciple of Jesus by this time, he was open to Jesus' teaching, and he was insistent in a forum among other rabbis and Pharisees that Jesus be afforded all the protections that Jewish law provided. In Lesson 9, we will get into chapter 8.